Good morning. Oh, I'm sorry. Didn't mean to make you cry. <laughs> okay, good morning for everybody except... Uh, hey, let me stay in the announcement category for just a second. Um, we, uh, in, in two weeks uh, from this Sunday, actually the, the weekend, two weeks from now, uh, we're going to be blessed to have Mark Prater, who is the president of Sovereign Grace Churches, here to minister with us. He's going to be here for the weekend. Uh, one of the things I want to make you aware of is uh, Mark's going to be helping us with a, a prayer and prophetic team workshop. That we're going to be doing on Saturday morning that weekend. So that's the 17th in the morning. We'll have a little breakfast time and we'll have some time with Mark. Mark helps and has been involved with helping to lead the prayer and prophetic team in his church in Philadelphia for a number of years. Uh, and so and for those of you who know, we, we have sought to build a significant prayer ministry into the life of our church. Just we feel like that's, that's God's economy advancing his kingdom is to bring that through our prayers. And so we want a vibrant prayer team to be a part of that. Uh, this morning, as a matter of fact, where I'm hoping to prepare it here, the end of our service, uh, we're kind of moving away from some of the, the, the pandemic world features and, and having some times where we can pray for one another and let the Holy Spirit minister to us as we're together. So I'm planning for us to do that here this morning. But have you ever thought, hey, when you go to pray for somebody in that setting, what do you do? What do you say? How do you be led by God? What kind of things do you bring to that moment to just prayer for somebody at the end of a message or maybe in a small group? Well, that, that's what prayer and prophetic ministry is about. And we want to equip folks to do that. And so if you'd like to learn more in that category and be part of that kind of ministry or just to come learn to see maybe if God's calling me to that, would you make a note this morning? Uh, July 17th, it's a Saturday in the morning, it'll be about a two-hour workshop that we'll do with Mark. And I think it'll answer a lot of questions and stir up some faith among us uh, just to move out in that area. Uh, one more thing that we're excited about, we're going to call this Regathering Sunday. And we will be regathering into one service rather than the two-service format at 10 o'clock on August the 1st. Yeah, I'm... Excited for us to all be in one room together and enjoying the presence of God. Um, we're probably going to adjust the chair elements a little bit in here so we can fit more people, but still create some elements of, of distance that we've managed to create. But mark your calendar for that. We'll be putting out lots of information, some things the Lord's going to start to uh, share with us. We believe that morning as well, August the 1st. All right. Well, as Kurt mentioned during the worship set, we have been studying through what's called a statement of faith. Um, statement of faith, you might think, is maybe like a, a highlight reel table of contents, if you will, to very important doctrinal beliefs about the Christian life. So, you know, this morning you could go to a church and you could hear a message about Jesus encountering a particular person and you hear a little bit of the story of his life or maybe something about King David or Goliath or, you know, we, we hear all kinds of things that we try to find our way into the realities of where we live in life. Doctrinal statements like this little booklet called We Believe a Statement of Faith sometimes feels like something that's very dry and distant from our lives. But this morning, I want to help us to see that we live in these realities every day. 
Right? This little booklet's called We Believe. Please get one of these. I think they're in the bookstore, also in the Welcome Center. Um, it's not a story, right? When you see this, it's, it's paragraphs of thought followed by a long list of scriptures. But it's, it's an exercise worth venturing into. And here's why. Here's the basic reason why. The title gives it away. We believe. And can I just say this is true about every one of us in the room, whether we've ever thought about it or not, whether you're watching the live stream this morning. Whatever you're about to do is going to be preceded by what you believe. The life that you're living, the relationships you're having, the world you're constructing, it's being built out of what you believe. You believe something and then you take action. You believe something and you avoid that situation or you move toward it because of what you believe about your life. So God has this way of introducing us to things that are very important that we believe them, but sometimes they're not as obvious as some other stuff that's really loud in our world today. So that's why we're studying through this, because as I mentioned to introduce this, this series, you know, Jesus knew we're all going to be building our life and we're either going to build it on the sand or we're going to build it on the rock. Well, these revelations from God, they're the rock. They're the understandings that God gives us that we build our lives on that are solid. They're not going to move. They're not going to get blown away or shifting sand that comes getting washed aside by heavy winds and rain and, and storm, right? So I'm going to read a portion of today's statement of faith. We're in the third section of the statement of faith. First section was the scriptures that Ronald did. The second one was the triune God that Peter shared with us. And this one is God's sovereign purposes. And if you look in the little book, you're going to find there's two subheadings underneath this statement. God's, God ordains all things for his glory. And secondly, God's grace in election. All right, these are massively big topics. They are a challenge to try and teach in one lesson. So uh, I, like all the other guys, I'm just telling everybody, don't try and do all of them. So I'm not doing both of those this morning. I'm doing one. But I want to read this one to us. This this one aspect of the statement of faith. And they'll put it up on the screen. It's in your notes as well. And I want you to think, right? The title is We Believe. I want you to think, do you really believe this? Because it's pretty important. Right? So God ordains all things for his glory. That word ordains is a good word. It's a loaded word. It's a hard word. But it's a good word because it makes us think. All right. Here's our statement. From all eternity, God sovereignly ordained all that exists and all that occurs in his creation in order to display the fullness of his glory. God's plans are efficacious, always coming to pass, and they are universal, encompassing all the affairs of nature history, and individual lives. These decrees are an exercise of his free, unchangeable, wise, and holy will. Yet God in his foreordination is not the author of sin. Nor do his decrees negate the will of his creatures who act with the power of willing choice in accord with their nature. His ordaining and governing all things is compatible with his creature's moral accountability such that God never condemns 
a person unjustly. Therefore, all persons are responsible for their actions, which have real and eternal consequences. All right, so that's a chunky doctrinal statement, but believe it or not, it's in the everyday spaces of our lives. All right, so let me put this under this umbrella before I re- read this passage from James. We talked about sand. We talked about rocks to build on, right? This is the sand of human planning and the rock of sovereign purposes, right? So James chapter four, New Testament writer, James is interacting with people. James is the Proverbs of the New Testament, if you will. It's very practical, very engaging of day-to-day spaces of life, et cetera. And he, and he speaks to people here that don't zero this in and make it a first century person only. This is us. That he's speaking to. James 4, verse 13. James says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Let's pray together. Father, we are all looking to the future, wondering what our life will be like making the very best plans that we can come up with, staying up late, having a hard time falling asleep, working overtime, working hard. Lord, is there something in this reality that you want to call our attention to? Lord, is is there an instead moment for us today? We're striving to have a good life. Nothing wrong with that. But instead, you ought to have said, if the Lord wills. Lord, is there something else going on? Something deeper than the sand that we're to dig our lives down and set our lives there? Lord, if so, would you open our eyes to see the deeper realities of the world that we live in? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what's this guy doing that James is describing? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we're gonna do this and then we'll do that. What's he doing here? pretty much doing what a lot of us are doing, right? I mean, I don't know how you ventured towards the summer. Come now, honey, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to this beach or that location. And we're going to do this while we're there. And the kids will do this and I'll do that. Uh, Come now, let's talk about the coming school year. You know, we've put in an application for our kids because we want them to get into this school. Because if they get into that school, that school usually lets people into this school really well. And if they get well there, then they can go to a really good college and get a really good degree and have a really good life. Come now, honey, let's talk about this. Because, you know, we haven't heard back from the school. They said they had a long waiting list and we don't know if they can get in. And if they don't get in, you know, they're probably going to be homeless under a bridge one day because they won't have anything good. Right? Why do we strategize in all these spaces of our lives? And you do this at a young age, you do it at an older age. Right? When you get older, you start you know, setting the timer on when you can retire. And maybe, maybe you're dreaming about retirement. It's like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. 7.3 years until I just retire. And that's it. 
and then we're going to travel, we're going to do this, we're going to go here. But I mean, let's be honest, if I took all those categories and I said, okay, for every person who's a dreamer in this room, there's somebody else who's a dreader in this room. There are those dreaming about the future and what it could be and the great potential. And there's some dreading the future. You're doing the same thing, right? We're saying, come now, you who says today or tomorrow, you're not going to have enough money to retire. And how are you going to pay your insurance? And what about this? And what about that? And what about your health? And what about the challenges? And what if your child doesn't get into that school? And, and what's going to happen then? And, and they had a hard time at the school they were in and they were ostracized and they didn't fit in. And what about, what about, what about? And this is what we do in life, right? We're trying to navigate a future that we don't quite know. What's the steering currents of the future? How much of your future are you in control of? How much of your future is somebody else in control of? Are you guaranteed a good life? Are you afraid about missing out on a good life? Is your life going to be rewarding? And what can you do to make a difference in these categories? Right, these are weighty moments. I wrote in your outline there, the weightiest moments in life can be when we're trying to figure out the steering currents of our lives. What will cause our lives to be good? What will cause our lives to be safe? Right? There's some of us that would just, we would just like to feel safer and less vulnerable to life. What would cause our lives to be rewarding and meaningful? Well, this guy was doing that. And he lands in the financial, economic, business, career category of his life. And he stares out and, and he notices there's some things here that he's got to take into account, right? So there's economics involved. He's staring out at a business prospect. We could start a business, not in this town. So there's a location involved, not this location, but that location. For some reason, that one's better than this one. There's timing involved. We should do it now. Now's the right time. It's post-pandemic. Everybody's going to want this. We should move to that city and start this kind of a business. And people would like it. There's got to be some personal talent and education involved here, right? I don't think this guy's trying to venture in the category that he's, he's clueless about. He's got some game. He knows something in this category. Got a little bit of a resume. He went to a particular school. He's got a talent. And he wants to create something out of that. So he's doing his homework and you and I do our homework. And if all the homework works out, then we should do this, right? Yeah. But you can do that in the dread direction too, right? You can, you can do all the homework to figure out why your life is going to go bad here, not work here, have a problem here and be terrible here. And you can draw some conclusions too. But, but the problem is we're staring into a category here. And God says, be careful that you don't build your lives on sand, economic sand, timing sand, talent sand. Somebody said to you, this worked for somebody else. I like that city sand. If we could just move here, it's so much fun. We, we'd have such a better marriage and we'd have such a better this. And all that stuff might look to be true on the surface, but Jesus warned us and he said, be careful that you don't build your life on these surfacey things because that sand shifts and moves. And when the storms comes and the house gets battered against and pushed on, the sand is not gonna hold you up and you're gonna have a great fall. But then James digs us a little bit deeper here and he says, wait, 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 for you, for the one walking with God, instead you ought to say, 
we'll think about all these plans. But the bigger underlying factor is that God has a will for our lives. God has a purpose. God has a sovereign purpose that's governing everything about us. So when you look into the future and somebody talks about their life, you know, we can kind of give away that we've got a little bit too much randomness installed in our future. Somebody shares their plans with you and you respond by saying, hey, man, that, that sounds awesome. Good luck. Good luck. I mean, I, I get that's kind of like, you know, God bless you when you sneeze. I mean, nobody knows why you say that. But do you recognize what you're saying when you say that? I hope some strange force out there called luck or fate. Hey, man, yeah, kick the tires, man. Ah, Roll the dice. You know, the odds are, may the force be with you. I mean, somehow we think that there's this impersonal, it's kind of like the lasting Big Bang effect. Like there's no personal God. There was just pressure and force and something that no engineer or no scientist can ever explain that something just suddenly appeared out of nothing. And flung everything into space. And then living creatures got formed. And they started doing life. And, but you're here randomly. Just like the muck of the earth. And planets formed and floating through space. And burning up by stars. And all that stuff just randomly happened. There's no purpose for your life. So steer yourself as best you can. Take advantage. Get a good education. Get up early. Try hard. Blah, 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 blah. And James says, wait. There's a will of God that's underneath all this stuff. A divine purpose for every aspect of your life. Instead, shouldn't we start there as we think about life? All right, so let me invite you into some little phrase here I put in maybe the first page of your notes or so there. This is an awkward thing to think. But again, this is what comes with this theology. This teaching is awkward, but it's true. Every day of our lives, we are called to be mindful of something deeper that is steering, directing, and ordaining the circumstances of our lives. Every person in our life, every event, every season, every moment. I'm not here this morning under some random set of circumstances accidentally occurring. Neither will tomorrow or the next day or the next month. The people in my life are not randomly here. They could have been anybody. They just happened to be luck of the draw. Got this one, didn't get that one. The timing of my life, when I exist on planet earth, the people and settings of my life, none of that is random in our lives. It's there meaningfully. And so when you and I go to steer our lives, the doctrine that comes with these sovereign purposes of God is not something that's just for the eggheads who sit around and read books all day. It's informing everything about you and I are doing. It informs how you and I lift up our eyes and say, today or tomorrow, what do I need to do about today or tomorrow? All right, well, you may need to do a lot of things, but first start with this. And so I want to help us today by staring at one particular event in scripture. And it is the event of all events in the Bible. And it is an event that informs our understanding of every event. Every event around it, every person around it, but then every person in time, including us. So that one event 
is the gospel event, right? We know if you've read the Bible, this is not an advice book. It's not a random collection of recipes. It is specifically telling us the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it is the event of all events. And so if what's true of this event will help us to understand what's true of our events. Very helpful thought from John Piper in his book, Providence. He says, Christians pass through so many difficulties, doubts, temptations, and sins that we need to be consciously anchored in the gospel every day. And I love what he's going to bring out here. And I love what we're talking about today. Consciously anchored in something more than you simply being able to say out loud that, well, the gospel is the person and work of Jesus Christ, or the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, you're saying something, but that doesn't mean you're consciously aware of something that's informing why you're here right now and what's going on in your life, right? Go a little further in his quote. He says, we need continual reassurance that our sins are forgiven for Jesus' sake, that God is for us and not against us, right? Can you stop in your moment right now when the wheels are coming off of your life? Do you see how important that gospel reality is? Or are you interpreting that if life became hard or you're suffering right now, God is against you. I must have done something wrong. Well, there's no question whether you did something wrong. Is that a new question for you? You did stuff wrong from the moment you came out of the birth canal. You've been doing stuff wrong. But the gospel informs us about something else. That God has found a way to be for us and not against us in spite of what we're doing wrong. And that we are not destined for wrath, but for everlasting joy because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right? That's got to do with where is this going? Come now you who say today or tomorrow, this circumstance is going to kill me. This circumstance is going to be terrible. This is going to be my end, right? This is how we might be thinking about today or tomorrow. Now listen to this. In other words, we need deep and ever-renewed confidence that the crucifixion of Jesus under Pontius Pilate was not a random historical fluke of circumstances, but was the outworking of God's pervasive providence. So how you see this event pertaining to Jesus and what happened to him And how you see your own life are extremely related. So that's where I want to bring us. I want to bring us to this extraordinary event to help us understand our everyday events. So Acts chapter 2, we're going to look there first. And then we're going to look at Acts chapter 4 just for a moment to present. How do you present this gospel moment, this event in scripture? Acts 2 verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words, right? This is the gospel explained at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit shows up and inaugurates the sending of the gospel message into the world. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. How does this event take place? How do we get to this gospel event and how do you explain it? Well, this happened to Jesus according to the definite plan 
and foreknowledge of God. But then he turns around and speaks to the corrupt human beings who are involved. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God did something. You did something. God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Don't repass that too fast. It was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. Wait, when did this happen? Death had never lost its grip on another human being before ever. What do you mean it was impossible for him to be held by it? Death held every human being all the time. Why is this any different? Uh, Because God had a purpose specifically in this moment that was different. And it didn't matter that death had been undefeated up until that moment. It didn't matter what the record was. What mattered in that moment was what God was doing. I said, can you imagine there are things in your life that perhaps have never gone a different way ever in your life? And you stare out at the sand and you make your plans based on that? No, you make your plans based on if the Lord wills. Even though that's never, ever happened before in your life, if the Lord wills, it will be different. That's the event here. But please notice the language here. This happens according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And these are rich words. I'm not going to unpack them. We'd be here a very long time. But can you just stare at with definite plan? This is details that was absolutely definite. Foreknowledge. This was plans that were made in advance of the events. These were things known by God and planned by God before they ever happened. Acts chapter 4, we get a little bit farther into the gospel presentation. And this message gets spoken in verse 24. It says, when they had heard it, right? This, at this moment, the, the, the challenges of being a Christian are showing up. People are getting persecuted. There's threats by the government. It's, there's hostility now. If you're a Christian, there's, a, there's an insecurity coming into this place. And this, this is the message that greets that insecurity moment. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it. Right? Isn't there a moment that you and I need to pay careful attention to where, where we ball everything up? And make it this little bitty thing in the hand of God. Sovereign Lord. God's big in this statement right here. You who made everything here. There's nothing that escapes its origins in you. Everything answers to you. The creator and the sovereign Lord. That's what's being said here. Verse 25. Who brought, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit. Why? Did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against this anointed. 
For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. When the New Testament takes its first steps to try and explain the gospel to the world, this is what it sounds like. It steps out and explains a very, very big God who is in charge of everything, who is the creator, who beforehand planned and ordained specific events so that they happened exactly as he occurred, wanted them to occur. That's the presentation here. This is what it means. You'll hear me use this, this phraseology. This is what it means to be God-centered. It means when you go to do, put the accent on something and you stare out at life, the accent goes on God. We shouldn't be putting the accent on human beings because the Bible doesn't put the accent on human beings. It doesn't make human beings irrelevant. It doesn't mean our actions are meaningless. And even if that's hard to understand, it doesn't mean that. But you and I are not the sovereign of the universe. We do not have sovereign purposes that challenge God's sovereign purposes. We do not have the power nor the ability to make God's purpose not come to pass. I don't have that kind of power and the devil doesn't have that kind of power and not a one of us has that kind of power. So when I go to plan my life, I need to be informed by if the Lord wills because it is his will that is predominant in this passage. Now notice something. This is a very conflicted passage. I don't know if they're leaving that up there or not. That Acts chapter four passage. Very conflicted here. You have God being seen and you have man being seen all at the same time, side by side. God is determinative in this passage, right? God planned this. He predestined it and it took place exactly as he said. Man is in vain in this passage. The question is being asked, why did you plot? Why did you gather together? Why are you all worked up, lathered up, getting everybody together like you're going to oppose God? Really? Man's actions are in vain. God is purposing something glorious. Man is intending something evil. The players for man that are gathered together in Jerusalem, Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the Jews, they are up to no good. They want something evil. Now here's a question because you and I go to plan our lives and that's in our world too, right? Question, what happens when evil gets mixed into the daily spaces of our lives? When evil shows up, and you know that evil is bent on evil, the evil forces that are in your life, they want to accomplish evil. Are you relaxed in that moment? That's a little terrifying, right? Because there's this force at work in our lives now. Come now, you who are thinking about today or tomorrow. We're going to do what? Well, evil is present and that kind of changes things. And I always known there's evil in the world, but man, right now it just feels like it's right here at my doorstep. Okay, well, it was at the doorstep here in this moment as well. God is accomplishing his exact will. Man is doing exactly what he wants. There are people in this story who when they woke up that morning, they didn't pray, they didn't read their Bible. 
They didn't ask God, what should I do? Herod was not seeking, how should I treat Jesus today? Pontius Pilate did not wake up, I'm assuming, going before God and saying, hey, I've got this meeting with this Jesus dude. What should I do? He just woke up like it was any other day. And people were going to come before me and I was going to make decisions whether to kill him or not. What kind of, you know, justice would be brought to these people's lives. It was just another day with just another person accused by another group coming before Pontius Pilate. He was just doing what he does every day. But you and I stare at this event and we know, no, no. The greatest event in history was unfolding exactly as God said it would unfold. But how do you feel when there's a Pontius Pilate in your life who doesn't have God's reasons to do in your life what you would like them to do? How would you feel if that's your husband or your wife or your children or somebody you trust or a family member who you get wind and you understand that what's operating in them is selfishness and pride and position. They got another motive for what they're doing. And, and you become aware your good is not what's motivating them. And you got to ponder your future. Can God still pull off his purpose in your life? If those are the people that you're hanging out with who don't really care about God's will aren't pursuing it, aren't believing for it, and they're selfish. God planned the details in advance. Man was simply waking up to that day's agenda. This can all be happening on the same day. God had planned it all. And individuals were just acting out of their own reasons and their own motives. God was anointing Jesus. Man was opposing him. Three times we get told, they gathered against, against, against. God was for Jesus. They were against, against, against. Right? This is in our space, isn't it? Whether or not God is for us, whether or not our lives have been appointed to something, but there are people who are against, against, against. They're moving too slow. They're our enemies. They're not taking notice of us. They've got loyalties to somebody else. They're going to act for their own reasons at our cost. God was in control. Man was in contempt. So I think I wrote out in your outline there. We are tempted to look first for the natural things. What's on the natural landscape? How are the people behaving? Who's for me? Who's against me? What opportunities are there? How would the economics work? What's the timing look like? Do I have all the resources? Am I smart enough? Can I do this? Yeah. There's a moment when God's word comes to us by James and says, instead, you ought to think, what is God willing in this situation? Are you taking shelter in that? Are you aware of that? Are you pursuing that? Are you making room for that? Or is this all about the sand of what you and other people can contribute? All right, this passage lends itself to another challenge because this is an awkward, this is an awkward doctrine. It, it interferes with life in ways that we just can't fully understand it and can't fully explain it. And, and it creates something, or I want to say it creates it, it traffics in something that I'm going to, I'm going to label this sovereign controversy. I'm not sure that that's really a terminology. So if it's original with me, can y'all remember that when I'm long gone, that Keith came up with a word called sovereign controversy. All right, here's my definition for sovereign controversy in your outline. It says sovereign controversy 
is when we perceive God to have ordained something that seems so contrary to our concept of good or fair or loving. A moment where we feel we need to rescue God from making a bad impression. All right, I'll come back to the gospel in just a second. When you and I walk with people and we observe the pain that they experience, the disappointment, the heartache, the bad situation that followed two other bad situations in their lives, you know, there's an appropriate compassion on our, on our part. There's an, a, an appropriate cry for mercy that we don't see that as a good thing. Aren't we just glad for the suffering in their life? No, we're not. Because we don't label that good and it's hard to see the good of it. And so somehow the idea that you're going to stand in front of us today and you're going to say God is ordaining things in life. Keith, you're going to run the risk of associating God with some bad stuff. Some disappointing stuff, some unfair stuff, some peated, some people have been treated unfairly. Some people have suffered unjustly in this life. And you're going to try and tell me that God is ordaining things associated with that? Right, can I tell you what's more dangerous than what I'm saying right now? Is entrusting the idea that human beings like you and me, who've only been around for a vaporous time of life, have constructed our own definitions for good, fair, and loving. And now we're making the sovereign God of the universe report to my definition. God, I don't see how that's good, and I don't see how that's fair, and I don't see how that's loving. So you answer to me. And I'll determine whether or not I will worship you, whether I'll bow before you, whether I'll honor you as God. Can I just tell you that's more dangerous than the first thing I said? Because there is a sovereign God in the universe who is completely, totally loving and omniscient and all-powerful. He is all these things balled together. He can do whatever he wants to do. And if he does it a certain way, he does it out of all that he is. And if I don't understand it, the best thing I can say is, I just don't understand. And can I just tell you, I don't understand. I've walked with enough people through serious suffering that I don't understand how that is good. How that is better than this. Because I can think of this, God. Matter of fact, God, if you give me a second, I can think of a dozen things that seem better than this for that person. So I get that. That doesn't for a moment change the reality of this story, right? So somehow we, we let God be sovereign when it comes to Jesus, don't we? Is anybody here going, wait, 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 wait. That's not how the gospel unfolded. No, no. My understanding is like, you know, Jesus was murdered by these horrible people with, with ill intention and a bad motive. And it's like, I don't know, like God was on the other end of heaven and the angels had to come running to him and say, oh, they killed Jesus. <laughs> He's dead. What are we going to do now? And God came zooming back from the other side of heaven, showing up, looking down at a tomb going, good night. They killed my son. I thought they'd love him. I mean, he's great. I've been with him in eternity. There's no way they didn't love him. Oh, what happened? I have an idea. Is that what you think heaven looked like? Like God was caught off guard. And the good thing about God is, you know, he's infinite. He can think on his heels really well. 
And he came up with a plan. What a plan, right? Hey, what a plan that God thought up in a moment's notice. Does anybody think that's what God did? God planned, ordained, orchestrated. God gathered the clowns who were in Jerusalem. Was it, was it by chance? So you can't create a sovereign God over the events of Jesus without a sovereign God over the events of Herod and Pilate who made Pilate wake up that day and go to work. Pilate could have stayed in bed that morning and oops, the whole gospel thing just didn't happen. The crowd, you had a crowd who cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Do you understand they could have rioted not to have him crucified? He healed my aunt. No, he's a good man. Didn't you hear what he taught? He's an amazing person. Do not kill him. The whole crowd could have said that. What would Pilate have done in that moment? The crowd pleaser, trying to keep peace on the the empire of Rome. So do you understand God is ordaining and involved, however, whatever word you want to use, in every molecule of the universe, including that guy with the loud mouth back behind you yelling, crucify him, being heard over everybody. Don't think for a second heaven is going, can somebody shut him up? What on earth is happening down there? This happened according to the foreordained, foreknown, determined plan of God. That's what's taking place in this moment. Now listen, when you and I come to staring at life, we have a hard time figuring out how big to make God and how big to make us. And when you and I, when the wheels start coming off, and if you want to figure out how, whether we've gotten too big and God's gotten too small, there are symptoms that will show that to us, right? Here's a medical diagnosis. Wrote this in your outline there. Yeah, I'm making some of this stuff up. We struggle with doubt and fear and reckless ambition and control problems because of a medical condition. We have an enlarged humanity. We think we or others are in control. How do you know if you have been diagnosed with an enlarged humanity. Right? You go to your doctor, your theological doctor sits down with you and said, I've got some really bad news for you. You have an enlarged humanity. <laughs> Doc, how do you know? Well, you know, you're full of doubt and fear. You're recklessly ambitious and you're trying to control everybody and everything in your life. Well, if you have an enlarged humanity, that's exactly what you have to do because you have to play the role of being the sovereign of the universe. You have to manipulate, push, pressure, say the right thing at the right time, pull off something, be before the right person, have the right connections, work people, have a network. You got, you got to do all that stuff because come now, you who are thinking about today or tomorrow, you got to be the mover and shaker to make it all come to pass. Instead, you might ought to have said, if the Lord wills. We will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. See, when you have an enlarged humanity, boasting comes with it because it's a trusting in humanity. What I can do, what I can discern, what I can pull off, how I can get you to help me pull this off. I've enlarged my humanity. And God takes issue with that through James. 
John Piper says, James' burden is to help us overcome our bent to arrogance, our failure to embrace God's pervasive providence and to bring our attitudes and words into sync with it. Well, what's out of sync? Answer, the simple presumption that in our everyday life, our willing and doing are decisive. Our willing and our doing are decisive for the life that we're going to have. Our willing and doing are not decisive, Piper goes on to say, in our, do, in our ordinary living. God is. Come now, you who say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But you, but you don't even know how long you're going to be alive. Your life is a vapor. You don't know whether the circumstances that you think are going to reward you aren't a vapor as well. Those favorable economics, they could be gone tomorrow. How many people opened the business in January of 2020? Thinking, huh, man, the hustle and bustle of the economy, man. We've never had an economy like this. We are rolling, baby. Let's go to this city and start a business and we'll borrow millions of dollars to do it. And then March comes. Vaporized. Right. So there's a, there's a reality that God says, hey, can, can you stay in your lane? Your humanity is small. It's my sovereign purpose that's big in this moment. And here's our, our, our temptation. Two thoughts here just to apply. Our temptations to ambition and control and manipulation and lying, right? You ever, ever find yourself manipulating people, controlling circumstances, got to be involved, got to ask a lot of questions, got to know, got to press your kids. Maybe gossip be involved with some friends because you got to know what's going on because you're going to have to have a conversation with that person or make your husband have a conversation with that person, right? You got to get this thing steered. You got to make sure it's happening right. We do that because we believe we control the outcomes. We can't just let that be. We got to fix that. We got to make that happen. We got to make that person change. We, We control this. But then there's another version of us out there that aren't so aggressive, our temptations to fear, to anxiety, worry, insecurity are because we believe others control our outcomes. Jealousy, insecurity. How does that show up on the scene of our life? It's like, well, I get around somebody who steals the spotlight from me. I get around somebody who's got more talent. They're funnier. They're more attractive. They show up in whatever category I'd really like to show up in. And I'd like to be noticed so that as I think about today or tomorrow, I can dream of a really cool, fun life. But when you come into the scene, I feel I'm losing my future. I feel people are going to pay attention to you. They'll think you're more talented. You're more interesting. I'm going to lose something. So now I'm jealous of you. Now I'm controlling. I'm fearful, right? I'm withdrawn. I'm anxious because I'm afraid you, and in whatever circumstances exist in our lives, I'm I'm afraid you control the outcome of my life. Listen, there's some incredible things in our lives that we have to learn how to do in trusting a sovereign God. Can I say marriage requires that you trust a sovereign God? Because if you do not, your future is in the hands of another person. And if I had to guess why more and more people are not pursuing marriage anymore, our society has, has slowed up its pursuit of marriage tremendously. But our society has also become more secular and more natural-minded than it's ever been. 
So when you pull God out of the sense of, hey, I'm partnering with another person who could be a great help to me and also a great hurt to me. But I am trusting that my future is not in her hands, but in God's hands. I trust him for my future. I can take this risk because this does not determine the life that I'm going to have. A sovereign God with purposes determines my life. But when you pull God out of the equation, uh, we have an enlarged humanity. Now, let me make one more point before we pray together. All right, I've just told this from the perspective of the gospel, the main character of the Bible. And so maybe we're tempted to think, oh, well, of course this is true of Jesus. Of course God is sovereignly purposeful over every moment of his life. Even in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 that presents to us this gospel event, God is sovereignly reigning over the bad guys too. Herod, Pilate, the crowds. For God to run the universe, he can't run part of it because the other part might not cooperate with his purposes then. And then how would they come to pass? This is helpful for me to understand that there's nothing in the world that God is not sovereignly purposeful over. Nothing. And when you and I pick up the Bible, we find this all over the place, right? Uh, Stare at Job's life for a second. And everybody, the moment you go through significant suffering, this is the one book in the Bible everybody's read, right? Or at least the beginning of it. We don't make it through the whole thing. But we read the beginning because Job gets me. My life is coming apart. Job, he gets me. Well, read Job's story carefully. Because if Job lifted his eyes up and made plans and all he saw was sand, which by the way is all he sees, you and I get to see the rock. He only sees the sand. His sand was, okay, yesterday everything was awesome. Uh, And then today came. And today some marauders came and stole half of what I own. And then another set of marauders came and stole the other half. And now I'm, I'm bankrupt. And then I get news that a natural disaster has happened and a building fell in on all my children. Come now, Job, as you ponder today or tomorrow. What's going on in your world, man? You and I get to look behind the scenes. The Bible takes us into a conversation where the sovereign God of the universe is running things behind the scenes. This is true all throughout scripture. Right? Joseph's a great story to follow, right? The Old Testament character whose brothers decide at some point they are motivated by jealousy. They want to protect their own interest. This doesn't sound like godly stuff. This doesn't sound like a prayer meeting amongst the brothers. Let's get together, guys. Let's pray. How's God leading us? Oh, I feel like... Uh, I feel insecure. I feel threatened by Joseph. Yeah, I I think God wants us to get rid of him. You know, is that how that meeting and discussion took place? But that's exactly what they did. And they sell him into slavery in Egypt. And when he gets to Egypt, he gets bought by a man who brings him home. He's a great hard worker. But then the guy's wife chases chases Joseph down, wants to have an affair with him. Joseph wants to do the right thing. So he spurns the woman. She gets mad and makes up a lie about him. So how would you like to have your life, your life shaped by jealous brothers and lying women? Some of y'all actually could write a book and that's exactly what the title would be, right? Um, This is why you are where you are. Hey, Joseph, nice to meet you. This is a stinky, rotten cell you're in here in Egypt. 
How'd you get here, man? How would he have answered that if you asked him that? Uh, jealous brothers. Spurned woman. Or would he have said, sovereign will of God. It seems as though he slowly gets a revelation that this is the sovereign will of God. And he explains that to his brothers one day when he says, listen, you meant evil against me. God meant it for good. God meant it for good. God reacted to it and made it good. No, God meant it for good before it happened. God was in charge of my life when it looked like nobody was paying attention to me, except for the evil people with bad motives. God sent me ahead of you. This is the words that that he eventually uses. God sent me ahead of you to save lives. God was in this thing the whole time. Not just later on. God wasn't reacting to a bad situation. Is this only true for the Josephs? For the Jobs? For the Jesus in the Bible? This is a massively important passage in Ephesians chapter 1. But it's spoken to common everyday people by the Apostle Paul. He says this in Ephesians 1.11. He says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Is that only true for Jesus or for Job or for Joseph? Because Paul seems to think it's true for the average Joe sitting in the audience in Ephesus who's going to read this statement. And so powerful is this for the we in this comment is that he says, you know what? We have obtained an inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance. We, We hope Maybe it's possible. God's made some promises. We hope it'll work out. No, no, we have this. We have an inheritance and we know we have the inheritance. Why do we know? Because this is how God governs the universe. This is how he runs things. He's working all things according to the purpose of him. God has purposed some things. And so therefore, how do you and I know we're going to have an inheritance? How do you know you're going to get what God promised? Because God runs his universe that way. There's not a thing that God owns that he does not rule over in his sovereignty. Not a thing. So none of it can go sideways. None of it can rise up against him. None of it can resist the sovereign purpose of God. Now listen, I know that's a lot to chew on, isn't it? But Paul wrote this to the Ephesians. They didn't even have a Bible. He didn't mind installing some really deep thinking for them to be able to say, hey, you know, when you go think about your life, this is why you know this is going to happen because this is how God runs everything. And imagine who's in the audience here in that. Special people, amazing Christians, people that had a special purpose in God. No. You know, the the silversmith in in Ephesus who probably walked into the meeting where the letter to the Ephesians is being written and he's, he's smeared dirt all over his face and he's got his apron on. He just came here from work, managed to pull away for a few hours to be in the meeting, barely getting by, hard worker. Maybe the shopkeeper that's in town there who she just sells some goods that she makes and barely getting by too. Or worse than them, the, the slave who's from Germania when Rome conquered them and pulled them back to this part of the world and sold them as a slave. And now this guy works for somebody else as an indentured servant 
He's having to hear God is ruling over your life. In him, we've obtained an inheritance, dude. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things, all things. Even for me, not just for Jesus. Now, this is an average Joe, everyday Keith doctrine. This is how God governs his universe. One more thought before we pray. John Piper says, after seeing the extent and nature of God's providence, our expectation is that there is no sphere of life, no matter how ordinary or seemingly insignificant, where providence is suspended or limited in its ultimate and decisive dominion. It would be a mistake to think that God's providence is concerned only with the hearts of kings. And not with the hearts of ordinary folks like us. All right, let me ask you to do something this morning. One of the things that our pandemic season did for us is it created an empty building and it created screens that we talked to and Zoom calls that we watched. And then it created us getting together, but getting together super, super, super carefully. And uh, we have had few moments if maybe one or two, even in a prayer meeting, where we've invited you to respond to God and to receive prayer in the presence of God. Um, So I'm going to break that trend this morning, and I'm going to ask you to respond to God. I'm going to ask you to to engage God in this moment and, and come forward and meet with him for a few minutes. Come forward and pray in the categories that we've been talking about. I think many of us are in a place where we're staring into the future of our lives and we're like the folks there in James. Come now, come now. You who say today or tomorrow, life is going to be what? What's your experience going to be like? Are you dreaming about something? Are you excited about something? Is there an opportunity that's awaiting you and you're like, ah, Man, we've never been more excited. We're on the verge of this or on the verge of that. Okay, good. Glad for dreaming. Instead though, might you first want to say, let me get in touch with if the Lord wills. And not just make plans, but bring myself near to the sovereignty of God, to the God who rules over my life. Can I just tell you for everybody who's dreaming this morning, um, a year from now, two years from now, 10 years from now, the dream is going to feel different. The reality is going to have set in. Maybe you're dreaming of getting married. You're dreaming of having children. Can I just tell you, uh, later on, it's not going to feel like a dream. It might feel very difficult. It might be very surprising. And you might want to, be able to take shelter in the fact that we're not here by accident. We're here by God's sovereign purposes in our lives. But maybe you're not here this morning dreaming. Maybe you're here this morning dreading. You know, life recently has been a series of derailments, one difficulty after another. Something's gone bad, something's gone bad, something's gone bad. And and you look at tomorrow and you just think the next thing's about to go bad. This thing's going to come off the rails. We're just going to have problems. Okay. 
Instead, instead, as you stare into that scenario, ought you to say, if the Lord wills. What you're afraid of may never happen. You may never even come close to that. Quite often, that's usually the story. But what if it does? What if you have imagined something just perchance that is going to actually happen in the future? Well, you know, the most important thing I'm going to need to know in that moment was, did the Lord will? Am I walking where God ordained for me to walk? Whether it's Pilate and Herod and a crowd that's aligned against me. They're all against me. They're against me, against me, against me. But God has appointed something for me. And so that's not what's going to determine my life. The sovereign purpose of God will determine my life. And God intended for us to know this. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I want to give you an opportunity to respond, especially if you're in a place right now in your life where you are seeking direction from God. You're planning some things. You're thinking about some things. You're thinking about some changes in your life. Maybe you want to go in a different direction. Maybe this is a career moment for you to think, hey, should we do something different in our career at this moment? Maybe you're thinking about a relationship and getting married or proposing to somebody or making this thing permanent. Maybe you guys have been living in New Orleans and your question is, should we be living here? Is it, does God have another location for us? You know, I've been wondering that lately. And so I'm, I've been staring out at the sand and I'm saying, okay, what if we, if we moved here and we did this and we put that in place and we had that in place and then we have relatives here and that would work over here. Okay, that, that's okay. You got to make plans. Plans are good. Plans are godly. But instead, you ought to start with, if the Lord wills. So if you're in a place where, where you could use the Lord to draw near to you today to help lead you into the next steps of your life, it's just where you are. Can you get up from where you are? Please don't pull a pandemic on me and just, oh, well, that's what we do. We just stay and watch Zoom calls. No, no, we don't. It's time to move on. It's time to respond to God, right? So can I just ask you, can you get up from your pew or your chair there and, and just come find a place where you're gonna pray? And I'm gonna ask the church to be praying for you to be helping in this moment. These moments can feel like a jail cell for Joseph, where you feel like God is nowhere to be found and I have no idea what to do next and all the circumstances seem wrong. But you're right where God has you and you need to hear him tell you that or you're gonna have a really hard time taking the next step. So let me pray for you and let me ask you to, to come forward. Lord, God, I'm so grateful that you have rock solid truths for us to build our lives on. God, I'm so grateful that in the shifting sands of our lives, Lord, there is something that we can cling to that, that can't be overturned. There's, there's no storm that can displace it. There's no winds that can blow on it and change it. God, thank you that your sovereign purpose in our lives is that way. And you want us to know that. God, James was such a practical, practical leader and speaker that you use him to speak into the common spaces of life. And Lord, we are in that verse. We are thinking about our future. God, I pray for moms and dads right now who are here and thinking about the future of their children, doing everything in their power, everything in their power to bring good into their kids' lives, to prepare them for a life that's gonna be rewarding and meaningful. 
But Lord, that's torturing some parents that are here because there's not a big enough you in the equation. A sense that God is sovereignly purposing things for our children. So if you're a parent here this morning, you need to come get with God. Let God take some of the hugeness of weight that you feel off of you. Let him take it. He wants to take it. He wants to show you something about himself. I just had a, a sense that there's a, there's a married couple here who recently you've been having conversations about the future. And there's a lot of fear in your conversations. And you guys are trying to figure out how to navigate a situation where you just can't seem to find a remedy or solution or something that feels like it's going to work right. Can you just draw near to God this morning? Can you get around him so he can give you something besides sand to be aware of? He wants to make you aware of him. His sovereign purpose is in your life. There may be some folks here and maybe you're, maybe you're new to the church here or maybe you've been here for a long time and church is a real question for you. Where should I be? Should I be here? Should I have left the church that I was at? We've made a decision to move on from where we were previously. And here's the reason, this reason, then that reason, then that happened and then this happened. God, I pray that nobody is in this church or leaving a church for reasons that are based in sand. Instead, Lord, you have a will. You have a purpose for us. You want us to be in fellowship. You want us to be led by particular leaders. God, the people in our lives are not accidents. Lord, you are leading us. Because we just take a moment, if you're, if you're seated and you see folks up here that are seeking God in prayer, would you come pray for them? All right, this is part of the body ministry that the pandemic has gotten in the way of. Um, just come see how God might use you. Can I just tell you this? I had a man come meet with me just about two months ago. And very caring, he came. And, and at the end of the meeting, he just wanted to pray for me. He said, can I pray for you? And I said, absolutely. And he started just to pray for me. And what came out of his word, I mean, tears filled my eyes. That's what came out of his mouth. Were all the vocabulary words that God had been using in my life to talk to me about where I was in that moment. And I, and I began to write them down while he was praying for me. He had no idea to use those specific words. He was just praying. Right, so you might walk up and pray for somebody here and just wait for a second. Let God put something in your heart. You have no idea. God put those words in a particular way and you said something that right now is gonna make a difference for somebody here. So that's what body ministry does. So, so can, we, can we shake off some pandemic dust? Say, hey, we're part of the body of Christ. This is our family here. They're going through a moment where they need something from God by way of direction. Let's, let's come pray for them. Let's come believe God for them. Let's come see some power invade their moment. Come on, this is not a place to be shy, bashful, and oh, somebody else will go. Hey, nobody else is going. Look around. See anybody else going? Come on, let's do this. I don't want anybody up here that doesn't have somebody praying for them. So come on, come on. We got about 10 more people need somebody to get up. Just come pray. Just come believe.
Father, thank you that you bring this revelation and insight to us like a a shelter to run under in the storms of our lives. God, I thank you that we don't have to be able to fully explain this shelter in order to run under it and be covered by it. Lord, I, I don't fully understand how it is that you ordain and rule as a sovereign God over every molecule of life. But I know that you do because your word says that you do. God, I pray that you would help us to find shelter in this place. Lord, you give us a revelation. You say it all over the place, familiar words to us. Like Romans chapter 8, where we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Lord, we know that's true right now, Lord, even when we can't see the outworking, even when we can't see behind the scenes. Lord, even when we're more aware of the, the evil players that are around us or the circumstances that seem like there's no way out. God, we know that you are causing things to work according to a purpose you have in our lives. And Lord, you, you use this gospel as the means for us to understand that. When right after that, you say, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, how will he not with him freely give us all things? Lord, if you watched over the details of giving up your own son, you did so as a means of bringing your purpose to bear on our lives. Good awaits us, a God who is after us and pursues us. One who's doing things when we don't understand and when nobody else is cooperating. You are still sovereignly Lord over our lives. So Lord, this morning, we can't necessarily fix everything, explain everything, or know what tomorrow is going to bring. But we take shelter in this, Lord. We're first starting with, if the Lord wills, that's what will happen in our lives tomorrow. God, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for being here. Guys, don't forget your kids. We're a couple of minutes over. Don't forget to run and get your children from children's ministry. See you guys next week.